Welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, the podcast that brings you through the entire Bible in 260 days. Have you ever wanted to read the whole Bible but struggled to do so? This podcast is meant to help you do it. With five 15 to 20 minute episodes per week, you will hear the entire Bible read to you. There will also be occasional brief notes to help explain context, as well as a concluding question or thought to consider. So welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, your journey through the Bible in 260 days. Welcome to episode 239. In our episode today, we'll begin two new books, the book of Esther and also the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And as we do this in between, we'll be having uh, a reading from Psalms, uh, Psalm 139. And I think what is amazing about these passages together is that they show us how great and also gracious God is. That even though the book of Esther doesn't mention the name of God at all, as we read the entire story over the next number of episodes, we'll realize that there is no other answer to how that story could have happened than that God was at work behind the scenes, so to speak, uh, making all these things happen. And Psalm 139 and Revelation 1 also give us a picture of how great and also gracious God is. And so I hope that this will be an encouragement to your hearts as you listen to these words read about how great and gracious God truly is. So we begin in the book of Esther, chapter 1. The following events happened in the days of Ahasuerus. I am referring to that Ahasuerus who used to rule over 127 provinces extending all the way from India to Ethiopia. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he provided a banquet for all his officials and his servants. The army of Persia and Media was present, as well as all the nobles and the officials of all the provinces. He displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his majestic greatness for a length, lengthy period of time, 180 days to be exact. When those days were completed, the king then provided a seven-day banquet for all the people who were present in Susa, the citadel, for those of highest standing to the most lowly. It was held in the court located in the garden of the royal palace. The furnishings included white linen and blue curtains hung by cords of the finest linen and purple wool on silver rings, alabaster columns, gold and silver couches displayed on a floor made of valuable stones of alabaster, mother of pearl, and mineral stone. Drinks were served in golden containers, all of which differed from one another. Royal wine was available in abundance at the king's expense. There were no restrictions on the drinking, for the king had instructed all his supervisors that they should do as everyone so desired. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in King Ahasuerus's royal palace. On the seventh day, as King Ahasuerus was feeling the effects of the wine, he ordered Mahumam, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abaktha, Zethar, and Carcas, the seven eunuchs who attended him, to bring Queen Vashti into the king's presence wearing her royal high turban. He wanted to show the people and the officials her beauty, for she was very attractive. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's bidding conveyed through the eunuchs. Then the king became extremely angry and his rage consumed him. The king then inquired of the wise men who were discerners of the times, for it was royal custom to confer with all those who were proficient in laws and legalities. Those who were closest to him were Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Marsina, and Mamukan. These men were the seven officials of Persia and Media who saw the king on a regular basis and had the most prominent offices in the kingdom. The king asked, By law, 
What should be done to Queen Vashti in light of the fact that she has not obeyed the instructions of King Ahasuerus conveyed through the eunuchs? Mamukan then replied to the king and the officials, saying, The wrong of Queen Vashti is not against the king alone, but against all the officials and all the people who are throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the matter concerning the queen will spread to all the women, leading them to treat their husbands with contempt, saying, When King Ahasuerus gave orders to Queen Vashti into his to bring Queen Vashti into his presence, she would not come. And this very day the noble ladies of Persia and Media who have heard the matter concerning the queen will respond in the same way to all the royal officials, and there will be more than enough contempt and anger. If the king is so inclined, let a royal edict go forth from him, and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media that cannot be repealed, that Vashti may not come into the presence of King Hoashuerus, and let the king convey her royalty to another who is more deserving than she. And let the king's decision that he will act he, that he will enact be disseminated throughout all his kingdom, vast though it is. Then all the women will give honor to their husbands, from the most prominent to the lowly. The matter seemed appropriate to the king and the officials, so the king acted on the advice of Mamukin. He sent letters through all the royal provinces, to each province according to its own script, and to each people according to their own language, that every man should be ruling his family and should be speaking the language of his own people. When these things had been accomplished and the rage of King Ahasuerus had diminished, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what, he, what had been decided against her. The king's servants who attended him said, Let a search be conducted on the king's behalf for attractive young women, and let the king appoint officers through all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the attractive young women to Susa the citadel, to the harem under the authority of Hegai, the king's eunuch who oversees the women, and let him provide whatever cosmetics they desire. Let the young women, woman whom the king finds most attractive become queen in place of Ashti. This seemed like a good idea to the king, so he acted accordingly. Now there happened to be a Jewish man in Susa the citadel whose name was Mordecai. He was, one, he was the son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been carried into exile with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile. Now he was acting as the guardian of Hadassah, that is, Esther, the daughter of his uncle. For neither her father nor her mother was alive. This young woman was very attractive and had a beautiful figure. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had raised her as if she was his own daughter. It so happened that when the king's edict and his law became known, many young women were taken to Susa, the citadel, to be placed under the authority of Haggai. Hester also was, Esther also was taken to the royal palace to be under the authority of Haggai, who was overseeing the women. This young woman pleased him, and she found favor with him. She, he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her rations. He also provided her with seven specially chosen women who were from the palace. He then transferred her and her young women to the best quarters in the harem. Now Esther had not disclosed her people or her lineage, for Mordecai had instructed her not to do so. And day after day, Mordecai used to walk back and forth in front of the court of the harem in order to learn how Esther was doing and what might happen to her. At the end of the twelve months that were required for the women, when the turn of each young woman arrived to go to King Ahasuerus, for in this way they had to fulfill their time of cosmetic treatment, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfume and various ointments used by women, the women would go to the king in the following way. Whatever she asked for would be provided for her to take with her from the harem to the royal palace. In the evening she went, and in the morning she returned to a separate part of the harem, to the authority of Shazkaz, 
the king's eunuch who was overseeing the the concubines. She would not go back to the king unless the king was pleased with her and she was requested by name. When it became the turn of Esther, daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai who who raised her as if she was her own daughter to go to the king, she did not request anything except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was over the overseer of the women, had recommended. Yet Esther met with the approval of all who saw her. Then Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus at his royal residence in the tenth month, that is the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she met with his loving approval more than all the other young women. So he placed the royal high turban on her head and appointed her queen in place of Vashti. Then the king prepared a large banquet for all his officials and his servants. It was actually Esther's banquet. He also set aside a holiday for the provinces and he provided for offerings at the king's expense. Now when the young women were being gathered again, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther was still not divulging her lineage or her people just as Mordecai had instructed her. Esther continued to do whatever Mordecai said just as she had done when he was raising her. In those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who protected the entrance, became angry and plotted to assassinate King Ahasuerus. When Mordecai learned of the conspiracy, he informed Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in Mordecai's name. The king then had the matter investigated and, finding it to be so, had the two conspirators hanged on a gallows. It was then recorded in the Daily Chronicles in the king's presence. Some time later, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agakite, exalting him and setting his position above all of the officials who were with him. As a result, all the king's servants who were at the king's gate were bowing and paying homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded. However, Mordecai did not bow, nor did he pay him homage. Then the servants of the king who were at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you violating the king's commandment? And after they had spoken to him day after day without his paying any attention to them, they informed Haman to see whether this attitude on Mordecai's part would be permitted. Furthermore, he had disclosed to them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing or paying homage to him, he was filled with rage. But the thought of striking out against Mordecai alone was repugnant to him, for he had been informed of the identity of Mordecai's people. So Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, that is, the people of Mordecai, who were in all the kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, that is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus's reign, Pur, that is, the lot, was cast before Haman in order to determine a day and a month. It turned out to be the twelfth month, that is, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a particular people that is dispersed and spread among the inhabitants throughout all the provinces of your kingdom whose laws differ from those of all other peoples. Furthermore, they do not observe the king's laws. It is not appropriate for the king to provide a haven for them. If the king is so inclined, let an edict be issued to destroy them. I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to be conveyed to the king's treasuries for the officials who carry out this business. So the king removed his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, who was hostile toward the Jews. The king replied to Haman, Keep your money, and do with those people whatever you wish. So the royal scribes were summoned in the first month on the thirteenth day of the month. Everything Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and governors who were in every province and to the officials of every people, 
province by province according to its script, and people by people according to their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by the runners to all the king's provinces, stating that they should destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews from youth to elderly, both women and children, on a particular day, namely the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, and to loot and plunder their possessions. A copy of this edict was to be presented as law throughout every province. It was to be made known to all the inhabitants so that they would be prepared for this day. The messenger scurried forth with the king's order. The edict was also issued in Susa the citadel. While the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in an uproar. We could just imagine, this is how we operate as human beings, hey? Make rash decisions like King Ahasuerus and then later regret it and have a beauty contest to satisfy the what we've missed. And then Haman gets basically humiliated by one man who won't bow down to him and he decides not to do something just to the one man but to him and to all the people who are like him and that's what we can be like as human beings and yet here we leave this story here to see what will happen what will happen to mordecai what will happen to all the jews what will happen to esther who is jewish and we'll leave it here for the next episode and so let's continue now with uh, psalm 139 a psalm that describes god in some incredibly Uh, beautiful and powerful ways, how great he is. Psalm 139, for the music director, a psalm of David. O Lord, you examine me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. Even from far away, you understand my motives. You carefully observe me when I travel or when I lie down to rest. You are aware of everything I do. Certainly my tongue does not frame a word without you, O Lord, being thoroughly aware of it. You squeeze me from behind and in front. You place your hand upon me. Your knowledge is beyond my comprehension. It is far beyond me. I am unable to fathom it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee to escape your presence? If I were to ascend to heaven, you would be there. If I were to sprawl out in Sheol, there you would be. If I were to fly away on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the other side of the sea... Even there your hand would guide me, your right hand would grab hold of me. If I were to say, certainly the darkness will overcome me, and the light will turn to night all around me. Even the darkness is not too dark for you to see, and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Certainly you made my mind and heart, you wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give you thanks because your deeds are awesome and amazing. You knew me thoroughly. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and sewed together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was inside the womb. All the days ordained for me were recorded in your scroll before one of them came into existence. How difficult it is for me to fathom your thoughts about me, O God. How vast is their sum total. If I tried to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Even if I finished counting them, I would still have to contend with you. If only you would kill the wicked, O God. Get away from me, you violent men. They rebel against you and act deceitfully. Your enemies lie. O Lord, do I not hate those who hate you and despise those who oppose you? I absolutely hate them, and they have become my enemies. Examine me, O God, and probe my thoughts. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any idolatrous way in me, and lead me in 
the everlasting way. What an amazing description of God knowing all things, past, present, future, all things about individuals and this world. And David does it all in such a way that he realizes that he is small compared to God. And God is so much greater than him. And this picture of God this way is actually another, uh, we have another example of it when we read and begin the book of Revelation today. A book that honestly isn't so much about future events as much as it is telling us about how great and awesome God is and how those who belong to him can experience a triumph, a mercy, and a grace because he is great and gracious. So Revelation chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must happen very soon. He made it clear by sending his angel to his servant John, who then testified to everything that he saw concerning the word of God and the testimony about Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy aloud, and blessed are those who hear and obey the things written in it, because the time is near. From John to the seven churches that are in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from he who is, and who was, and who is still to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to the one who loves us and has set us free from our sins at the cost of his own blood, and has appointed us as a kingdom, as priests serving his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is returning with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes on the earth will mourn because of him. This will certainly come to pass. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is still to come, the All-Powerful. I, John, your brother and the one who shares with you in the persecution, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony about Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day when I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to see whose voice was speaking to me, and when I did so, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. He was dressed in a robe extending down to his feet, and he wore a wide golden belt around his chest. His head and hair were as white as wool, even as white as snow, and his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp double-edged sword extended out of his mouth. His face shone like the sun, shining at full strength. When I saw him, I fell down at his feet as though I were dead. But he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the one who lives. I was dead, but look, now I am alive, forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you saw, what is and what will be after these things. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And we'll leave it there for today. But what an incredible picture of Jesus that John sees in all of his glory and power and greatness. 
and John falls before him as dead, which I think any of us would. And what is the response of Jesus? He says, do not be afraid because he is the one who died and rose again. He has the keys of death and hell that Jesus is the one who brings life to those who trust in him. They need no longer be afraid. What incredible greatness and grace we see in God, our Savior, Jesus himself. Thanks for listening to the Bible in 260 podcast. May what you have heard speak to your heart and mind today. The scriptures quoted are from the Net Bible, http netbible.com, copyright 1996-2019, used with permission from Biblical Studies Press, LLC, all rights reserved. Our theme song for the podcast is The Call by Emily Ruth. You can find The Call and other music by Emily Ruth on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you find your music. You were always there.